Hey folks, Scott Weingart here, and this is the MCrit Podcast. Today on the podcast, a new segment that we'll do semi-regularly, um, and it's called Galley Grills. And I guess in order to understand this particular episode, you'll need to know two people. And the first one is my co-host for Galley Grills, Sam Galley. Now, Sam is a ED doc and resuscitation doc at the University of Florida in Jacksonville. He has an enormous following on Twitter. He puts out great medical education stuff there. Um, the reason we're doing this segment is a unique mindset that Sam has had, as long as I've known him as a buddy. Uh, Sam is a Socratic method practitioner in that once he asks you a question and you give him an answer, if it doesn't make sense perfectly, if there is a additional level of why, if you haven't quite gotten to the point of fundamental first principle thinking, Sam has no issue whatsoever on continuing to question until he gets you to the point where you've either found those first principles or you start questioning whether you truly understand a topic as well as you thought. And I'm like, wow, this is perfect for the MCrit podcast. So now when Sam sends me questions, as he often does, I just tell him, put it in the hopper, we'll do a Galley Grills episode on it. So you'll hear from Sam shortly. Now the person you won't hear about for this particular episode, but you need to know his name because I talk about him uh, frequently during uh, the next 10 minutes is a gent named Nader Habashi. Now he's been on the podcast before, uh, but Nader is the head of the trauma resuscitation unit at the Shock Trauma Center, but he was really the maven of all things ventilator management and maybe the biggest proponent in the world of the TCAV um, method of APRV, which is going to be the topic we talk about today, is is APRV as good as it's made out to be by people who are evangelists, uh, or should we believe the doubters who don't really see a role for this? Uh, as you'll see, I, I fall somewhere in between. Uh, I found Nader's teaching to be some of the best vent teaching I've ever experienced in the world, and I really believe in TCAV as a ventilatory mode. Uh, it's rough to translate that to real life sometimes, as you'll hear. Now, the evidence for APRV is scant, and the evidence for the TCAV method of APRV in actual human patient outcome trials is nil. Um, and in fact, you know, the two RCTs that came out on APRV, you know, one semi-positive, one semi-negative, uh, in both cases were not fulfilling the qualifications to be considered uh, this TCAV method. Uh, as espoused by Dr. Habashi. So now you have enough information, let's dive right in. Uh, please put your feedback on these segments in the comments because uh, I, I think they're great to keep on doing, but I'd love to hear what you think as well. All right, let's jump right into it. So my question for you, what I wanna know, others wanna know too, is do you, in your heart of hearts, deep down, think that APRV is the superior mode of mechanical ventilation in general and specifically for refractory ARDS hypoxemia. And how do you use it clinically in your practice? Okay. Now, this, these opinions are not going to be endorsed by Nader Habashi, who trained most of us who are evangelists for APRV, but he's still going to disagree with me. I think for type 1 respiratory failure, meaning their, their issue is oxygenation, uh, you get 70% of the gain on the ventilator from setting optimal PEEP for the situation. There is no magical number for any patient, but the best you could do, setting that number is the vast majority of the benefit of good ventilator management. And most people set that PEEP too low. That's been my experience is they're not getting anywhere near a optimal global PEEP level. 
APRV kind of forces you to get there because it forces you to go higher, to get all of the ventilatory stuff you need. And I think the fringe benefit of that is you are closer to getting to an optimal PEEP. Now, you had asked when you had originally emailed all the people who Nader trained, are they just better at vent management and it's not the APRV? And I think there's something to that as well because he stressed and beat into us not just looking at the ventilator, but looking at the patient's interactions with it. So anyone who is Habashi trained, whether they're using APRV or another mode, is going to be seeing, is the patient fighting it? Is the patient actually recruited? Are they doing these belly breathings that just shows they're not feeling like their lungs are fully getting there. And then I think the last 10% is what you allude to, Sam, is maybe there's a 10% benefit of APRV over volume control or pressure control, maybe, but it's going to be really small compared to those other two things. So sure, you can use APRV, but if you told me here's a vent without APRV, would I be able to manage like almost every patient nearly as well? I think I would. Wow. Okay. That that is very interesting. I, I must say I completely agree regarding the low peep and it the way APRV just forces you to just start off at those high pressures. It's crazy to me. Like you still will walk up to a vent sometimes and see people five and an FIO two of one hundred percent, and just in general, especially if you're talking about lungs that are non-compliant, just makes no sense. And yep. there's some fear of going up on the peep, and they're like, "Are you sure the peep?" You're going to set the peep to 16? Like, that's really high. Yeah. I also, I want to say that is exactly the thought I have. So let me give you an example. Joe Scheiber, he's our ECLS guy, our ECMO guy. And I know you guys are friends as well. And he trained under Nader. You know, we had a case recently and it's hard for me to separate and say it's APRV when you you just watch what he does. And first thing he does is he goes to the CT scan and looks at it. And when, by the time he's come down, he's already seen the CT. He knows where the, the collapse is. He walks up to the patient and, and there's this entire package that comes with the APRV, like the, the body positioning. And let's move the legs out of the way to let the, the diaphragm have more excursion. Let's not paralyze. Let's let these people breathe. And that's part of APRV. And um, so there's this entire package and it's a deep understanding of the physiology. And it, so it's hard for me, even though I think a lot of these people really believe that it's the APRV, it's the magic of APRV. It's hard for me to separate all that and say, oh, I guess it was the APRV. You're 100%. And this is what I meant by that ventilator patient interaction. You encompass it so well. I'm going to pull back even further and put this out to you. It's all CPAP. All good ventilator management is just CPAP because that's what does the oxygenation in addition to FiO2, but you burn through that real quick. It's all CPAP. Everything else is tacked onto CPAP to allow ventilation. If we had microvascular ECMO that would just scrub CO2, you'd never need another ventilator mode except CPAP. And APRV is just CPAP for the oxygenation side. Because CPAP is a mode that lets patients spontaneously breathe. And if you set it right, they're at their optimal PEEP for the given situation, which changes obviously consistently, but it's just CPAP and the rest is just tacked on for ventilatory reasons. And when you realize that's the thing, then it doesn't matter as much whether it's APRV or any other mode when you begin to understand all of the other extraneous stuff is really somewhat superfluous. Yeah, everything you're saying makes so much sense, but I will say 
I'm a little bit surprised in the degree to which you seem to not believe that APRV does what it does for these patients. I think it's very fair. And I think it's very logical. And you may be exactly 100%. We don't know <laughs> because just, as we talked about, the, the studies not studies haven't been done. But I'm just a little surprised. And I would have thought that you used it more than you seem to. Let's think it through. So you get a patient who is awake. They have really bad lung disease, but they are have no uptundation. They have no sepsis-induced encephalopathy. In the optimal situation on APRV, the patient's doing 50% of their ventilatory work and the APRV's bearing the brunt of the other 50%. And then as the patient gets better, that shifts obviously to the patient taking over and you eventually wind up fully on CPAP. If you had a patient like that and you just put them on CPAP and you gave them automatic tube compensation, which is just a better form of pressure support, it allows the breast to stay physiologic and, and allow the negative pressure recruitment. How would APRV have a benefit in that patient? There's no space for a benefit. I agree. I agree. And that's the whole dub drop and stretch. You basically, that's all, just like you said, APRV is like CPAP with just intermittent releases. And if the patient's spontaneously breathing, you just drop the pressure and stretch the time out to where it is literally just CPAP. Yeah. Now, Nader put a little wrinkle in this with the most recent TCAP stuff because it was a big sea change he used to say you should have your T highs as long as possible to optimize recruitment up until like around the eight second mark. You were still gaining the ability of lung stability. He's changed based on some animal data out of his lab. And he actually feels now more rapid releases may actually have recruitment that very different than when Joe and I first trained. I and mean, if that's the case, maybe APRV has another tiny putative benefit from the releases having oxygenation benefits, not just uh, ventilatory. Now, you said more sure. rapid releases. Did you mean more frequent Yes, releases? more frequent, exactly. More Happening frequent more, releases. More frequently, exactly. Yeah, that is interesting. And and he feels that may provide- Shaking uh, things up. is His analogy, for better or for worse, is when you have a bolt that is really tough to turn with a wrench, that you could keep exerting more and more force, and eventually you may actually break through and turn that nut, or tapping it with a percussive hammer would require far less force to get past the breaking point of that nut. And for some lung recruitment, he feels that these releases may actually be that tiny hammer hitting the wrench rather wow. than forcing it. We that's don't know. That's as much as APRV has not been studied, that particular assertion certainly has not been studied. But Yeah. You're saying it, uh, completely irrespective of CO2 removal. Yeah. Just the that more there frequent may actually release. be That's a recruitment it. benefit in the yeah. and, and when he talked about this, it was really in the patient who was in the refractory state of needing lung stabilization. I don't think there, even in his words, would be any benefit to the patient you've already stabilized the uh, alveoli recruited. But for the recruitment stage, that these more frequent releases may be beneficial, even for the type one side. I don't know. My overarching point is still, if you understand that CPAP or PEEP is what matters most and optimize that and then do whatever you need to do to safely ventilate. I think the lion's share of the benefit comes from the first part, not the second. All right. Fair enough. If you have a refractory, severe, ref you've done everything. You know, I should take it a step back. Just you're doing everything. Uh, and they're still seeming to be refractory, hypoxemic. How quickly are you moving to APRV? Yeah, I love APRV. As a recruitment maneuver on pretty much any patient with sick lung. There'll be a, a huge tendency for me to just switch the patient to APRV right up front. 
but then get them to a more conventional mode because they're not going to be doing the TCAV philosophy up in most of the places I will be sending these patients. So for me, I use APRV very frequently in sick lungs, but don't send them out of the unit on APRV. And, and yeah. I think that is a real beneficial way of using that mode. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And it's almost, it seems like there's this dichotomy of MICU, uh, medical ICU versus SICU. Surgical ICUs are doing it. Medical ICUs are not doing it. So you're doing it down in the ED. You don't, you're going to send them to a place where people not only aren't doing it, they're, they're, they're not uh, experienced in it. And so the institutional considerations, I think, are very important. Yeah, well. and it's going to be variable depending on the RT. In most of the ICUs, the RTs are going to be doing the lion's share of the vent settings. And if you have an uh, RT that's never heard of APRV, they're not. The problem and the benefit of APRV when we learned it was that in order to do it right, you had to be at the bedside a lot because the patient would have dynamic changes. They would recruit. They'd need far less pressure. They'd need an adjustment of their TLO. Adapted. And so you had to see the patient. And that's another wrapped up benefit that Habashi style APRV forced. It's very similar to early goal-directed therapy in which the hidden part of that study was that there was a fellow at the bedside for six hours in the early goal-directed therapy group and not in the other. And that's never even mentioned in the paper. Same thing for yeah. APRV done Habashi style. You're seeing that patient not once every eight hours. You're seeing them once every 60 minutes. It's an entirely different scenario. Definitely the opposite of set it and forget it. Exactly. Uh, right. Mode of me mechanical ventilation. Exactly. Uh, some of these vents, this mode is, is not called APRV. They have different names and they're a little bit different. So bi-level, bi-vent, and you wanted to explain what exactly is the difference. Yeah. So a lot of these companies have either made as a result of APRV's popularity or because they were using it in a very different way for a inverse ratio ventilation. They have these other modes that look like APRV. And in some cases, they're okay. You need two things to really be APRV, regardless of the name. It's not like I'm just dithering over uh, a rose being a rose. The issue is, are the valves good? And in a lot of these machines that aren't true APRV, the patient has a lot of friction to get their spontaneous breaths. So that's one thing. So a lot of these machines, even though they'll give you a mode that looks the same, the patient has to do a lot of work to actually take their spontaneous breaths. That does not work with full lungs. You need no barrier at all in order for them to be able to take these breaths very easily. The other thing is a lot of them that build themselves bi-level or bi-vent won't let you do true APRV settings. They won't let you have the TLO at 0.2 seconds, they, they have a limit. It'll be 0.5 or 0.6 as the minimum, or they won't allow you to set the pressures independently. They'll be built on each other and it really messes with your ability. So those are the two things. You need great valve structure and then you need to have free. And so if they have both of those, then I don't care if it's bi-level. Like for instance, the Velas, the valves weren't as good as the Draegers. The Draeger really is the Rolls-Royce of ventilator. Anyone who trained in shock trauma loves Draegers. They were pretty damn good. And their APRV settings allowed you to do whatever the hell you wanted with them. That was fine. I consider that machine capable of APRV. All right. So, Scott, I have one final question. I just want to know, what do you think? What is your prediction? Like, where's this, where are we going with this? 10, 15, 20 years down the road from now, you walk into ICUs, at least in the United States, where, what is, what's going to be the predominant mode of ventilation in these patients? And is it going to be like, Hey, there's been 10 more RCTs and uh, none of them were TCAV and Habashi's group fired back and said, you're not doing it right. Like where, where are we going with this? And what is going to be the, the state? 
Yeah, it's funny. You ask me like 15 years from now, I think uh, people just won't be ventilated anymore. And we will have perfected ECMO to the sufficient point that we will be doing all of our gas exchange with that. That's my guess. Now, maybe it'll be 20 years, but I think within that time range, we certainly should be getting there. Intubation is a stupid thing to do if the patient doesn't have airway issues, if it's purely a ventilatory one. Let's say where it's the future of APRV. I think this is 100% AI or just computer driven capable. I think that is actually in the real world, the only way TCAV will actually be done properly in the broad sense, in in, uh, contradistinction to very good practitioners doing it. They've already, Draeger, computerized the TLO far better than you could do it as a human being because they're adjusting consistently rather than once every half hour. And I think there's no reason the other settings can't be built to actually just suck in what the monitor's seeing and then just take the human out of it. And then I think if TCAV works, that's the only way it'll work on a broad population basis. Super interesting and insightful. I can't thank you enough for not only taking the time to talk to me about this. Such a pleasure, brother. Can't wait till the next one.